Welcome to the Sports and Torts Podcast, your go-to podcast for entertaining conversations on sports, law, and business. This podcast is powered by the J. Stein Law Firm, a personal injury law firm in Atlanta, Georgia. And now, here is your host, Joshua Stein. What's up, everybody? Hope you are all doing well out there. We appreciate you tuning in to listen to this most recent episode of Sports and Torts. Thanksgiving week is behind us. Hope you all enjoyed your holiday. And what that means, it is now SEC Championship Game Week. What started in August has now made its way to the first Saturday in December with Georgia and Alabama, as it's supposed to be, meeting yet again with the SEC title on the line. Who out there is excited about this? I know I am. I know you two guys are. I know my guests are today. Um, We talk a ton of Georgia partisan talk on this podcast, but today I'm going to open it up for the Alabama side of things. I got some folks in here that are big time Alabama fans, familiar faces. Andy Goldner has been on the podcast before, Chris Gunnell has been on the podcast before, my sweet mates, my boys, we talk sports and talk football all the time. So now microphone in our face, bourbon poured. Gentlemen, cheers. Thanks for having us, Josh. I just want to note for the people that are listening, Andy's literally rolling up his sleeves as Josh is doing the introduction. So he's getting ready to do some heavy lifting, I think. I'm here for business and hard work today. Sleeves are rolled up. I'm going to bring it. So this is where I want to start. Um, Andy, I have talked or seen you, talked to or seen you probably every day the last five years, other than some weekends. Would you agree with that? I would. And and we have discussed every single big sporting event, every single big football game over the last five, five years. You agree with that? I also agree with that. Chris, for you, the last probably three years, I could say that same thing. Correct. Um, your boy Golder has been a little different this year. He's been a little different. He's been on tilt, I feel like, since September. He's a little salty towards the college football season, salty towards the playoff committee. I don't know. I feel like this is going to exercise some demons for him putting this microphone in front of, your, front of his face. So this is, I hope, going to be a very therapeutic session for you, my man. You doing okay? Uh, I'm doing fine, Josh. If there were a couch here, though, I would be laying on it. And uh, wanting to kind of open up and, and kind of do a deep dive on Andy's emotions with this season. And I'm sure we'll get into this. I've had it up to here, <laughs> all right, with teams that don't play anybody padding their record and wanting to uh, sneak their way into the college football playoff scene. I've had it. It's I feel, like, I feel like it's the passion project for you right now. Yeah. Breaking down every article that talks about or mentions strength of schedule or Big Ten schedule, who they're playing, who they're beating, it just it just irks you. Chris, I mean, are you in the same boat as my man over here? I am. I, I think the committees need to figure out, you know, it's its mood after this point, at least for the top of the top teams, but they want to, want you to play a strong schedule and then they allow somebody in who plays nobody and doesn't lose and you, they ding you for a loss to a big team. So, uh, you know, it's the consistency of the college football playoff committee. It's kind of resembles governmental efficiency. It's just not there. You're damned if you do, damned if you don't, right? That, that, that's, right. What it, that's what it kind of feels like. So, so, so Chris, we were on the podcast last time we talked a lot about Alabama football. Um, clearly you're a huge fan. Andy, you've had to explain your allegiances probably four times on this podcast in terms of your, 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 you went to Georgia for law school, you live in Atlanta, go to a lot of Georgia games, but you grew up as an Alabama fan. Do you want to spend 30 seconds explaining about your allegiance yet again before we get going? Let's cover this again. I was born and raised an Alabama fan, was the first uh, male in my family not to go there. My first memories of sports and probably childhood uh, or watching Alabama football 
with my dad, and it's a huge family connection in the Goldner clan. But I went to Georgia for law school, made some lifelong friends there, and I love the Bulldogs as well. And I will say again, as I've said on this podcast, I uh, do not believe that they're mutually exclusive. As I've said before, you can not root for Georgia and Auburn at the same time. You can not root for Georgia and Georgia Tech, but Alabama and, and Georgia have a mutual respect. I don't think they're natural enemies, so to speak. And you can look at, as I'm sure we'll talk about in a little bit, the two current head coaches are, uh, they, they love each other. Chris, how do you see the rivalry of Georgia and Alabama? I, I don't know that I would call it a, a rivalry. We just haven't played enough historically for it to be. I've all, it's always surprised me that Georgia and Alabama fans butt heads so much. I mean, we've got, we're not in the same division of the SEC. We have uh, our two, two of our chief rivals are the same in Auburn and Tennessee. So we can bond over a hatred of those two programs. Um, but traditionally, Alabama fans and Georgia fans just don't get along very well. You know, if you ask the average Georgia fan, they'll probably list off four or five teams before they say Alabama in terms of our rival. But it feels like we mentioned this before we started hit record that every time Georgia and Alabama plays, it ain't just a regular Saturday in October. No. It's always something on the line. And so I think because of that, because these have been the two teams over the last decade um, that have had the most success, it just feels bigger when the two teams play each other. I think that's absolutely right. And if you look at newer rivals, you know, I think you can put Georgia and Alabama right there just because of success in recent time and you know, LSU at this point is a, a big rival of, of Alabama. And that's really only come about in the last 15 years or so. So it evolves. You have your historical rivals and you have your current rivals and Georgia's got to, got to be one of those. If we, if we're going to try to win a national championship, we generally have to go through Georgia in some way, shape or form. What is Alabama fans kind of perspective, perspective of Georgia program and Georgia fans right now? Is it, Hey, that's cute. You guys have had this run or is it, Hey, this is, this is legit, and they're a force to be reckoned with. You want to take that, AG? You want me to go? Yeah. No, um, my personal uh, observation of Georgia fans in the last couple of years, and particularly since the national title a couple of years ago, is is a dramatically improved fan base. And I'll I'll put some flesh on those bones. When I got to law school in Athens in 1999. Um, my friends that went to Georgia undergrad were talking about a national championship that the dogs had won in 1980. And that confused me greatly because growing up when Alabama won a national title, you celebrated it for a month or two, and then you moved on to the next season. There wasn't this reminiscing about bygone national titles. And when I got to law school uh, in 1999, people were still talking about Herschel Walker and Buck Ballou and the national title from when I was four years old. And that was confusing to me. Now, I think since there have been two rings, one uh, in recent years and probably a third forthcoming soon, I think the fan base is, you know, getting a little bit more, I guess, sophisticated for lack of a better term, not looking back 20 years in the past or 30 years in the past at, at accomplishments of bygone teams. I think that's fair to say. And, you know, we we all lived through the era of Georgia football that, you know, the running joke was next year's our year. And it was always next year's our year. And, you know, it was only a couple of years ago we were pointing out that Georgia's 1980 national championship was just as close to World War II as it was to current day. I mean, that was two years ago. 
And, you know, but <clears throat> I don't think the success surprises many people. I mean, Kirby Smart is a hell of a football coach. He, you know, he's, you know, one of the best recruiters there is out there. And the biggest turning point, I think, was Georgia finally turned the program over to somebody and and gave him all the bells and whistles and tools that he needed. And he's run with it. And he's not going anywhere anytime soon. This I've, program's built to stay. I've said many times before that Kirby is better at his job than just about anybody else in the world is at their job, whatever it is. I mean, the guy is flat out amazing. He learned it at the foot of Nick Saban, who I've told y'all before, like I have a whole lot of respect for him too. He's of course amazing. Um, the two of them seem to have a really good relationship. I mean, you know, I feel like after 2021, when Georgia finally beat Alabama, there was a, I mean, Saban wasn't happy for Georgia, happy for Kirby, but there was a bit of pride. Like, hey, this guy has done it. I'm really proud to see him do it. Um, I'm curious to see their, kind of how they engage with one another on Saturday. Any any sense of kind of what's going on with Kirby and Nick these days? No, I mean, I don't, I doubt that they're calling and picking each other's brains about things, but I know after that 21 national championship game, Saban said, hey, if I'm going to lose to somebody, I'm glad it was Kirby. Uh, I, I think the media uh, plays in different ways on relationships he has with former coaches. I, I think they make the one he has with Lane Kiffin look a lot better than it probably actually is. Um, you know, Lane's, tenure came to a very tumultuous ending uh, at Alabama. You know, Kirby finished the drill, so to speak. You know, he was, he he did not take the Auburn job, I guess it was the year before, because they wouldn't let him coach in the national championship game. And he turned it down and ended up at Georgia and then did so. Um, so, I mean, there's, He's a respected rival for sure, and I know Saban sees him that way. I feel like from from a Georgia fan's perspective is we finally, in 2023, feel like the talent gap, the coaching gap, the program gap with Alabama is, is kind of is right there, neck and neck. I think Georgia's probably more talented this year than Alabama, and we haven't been able to say that in, since I can remember. Um, so that that's like a shift in, some, in just the, the philosophy, the headspace going into these games, because it used to be like, here we go again, it's Alabama, like there's no chance of winning and finally exercising those demons in Indy a couple of years ago, just from a, from a headspace perspective has been huge. Mm -hmm. I agree with you on the talent perspective. Um, I think that Georgia is clearly the more talented and uh, regular season dominant team this year. So speaking of the Alabama's regular season, I mean, obviously we, we know that, you know, 11 and one off the coming on the heels of just, what are they calling it? The mill throw <laughs> in Jordan the, Hare. The mural and miracle. The mural miracle. Mirror Nightmare of Jordan Hare. Nightmare of Jordan Hare. It's amazing. We'll get on that. But but you know, what's the thoughts on the season? I mean, you know, we talked in the beginning in September, like that loss to Texas didn't look great. Team started slow, but I feel like Alabama just keeps slowly trending in the right direction. So what's what's kind of y'all's take on how the season's gone? I told you earlier in the season that I did not think this was a particularly spectacular. Alabama team. If you look at the teams that Mac and Tua uh, guided, they were assaulting an SEC schedule. And you look at the score differential of the SEC competition, and there was just no doubt that they were cruising to not only the college football playoffs, but they were threatening a national title and, and, and in some case winning it. Uh, I haven't seen that this year from this team. I mean, they they, I agree with you. They've gotten better each week, more or less. There have been a couple steps back, I think, in, in particular weeks. But have they blown out some teams? Yes, but they're also squeaking by some teams that they should be blowing out. So um, hard, to, hard to look at this team and say, you know, uh, you're very optimistic about their chances to win 
win a national title. Now, if they get over the Georgia hump this weekend and find their way in the playoffs, anything can happen, particularly when you're facing lesser competition outside the SEC. I would agree with that. I think one of the things that seems to be different over the last few years is just consistency of performance. And a part of that is, you know, the portal has changed college football. Part of it is what um, I think Kirby is probably starting to or will start to deal with is um, other teams rating his coaching staff every year. It's hard to really maintain that consistency when you're losing coordinators every year. Um, and so I think that probably has it. But I agree with what Andy says. It's you, you're not seeing them. Um, be able to put away teams and get the backup quarterbacks in early and that sort of thing the way you used to. And they'll play one game where they look fantastic. And then, I mean, this Auburn game was abysmal. I mean, it was the game plan was not good. The execution was not good. It, it did not look like the team I expected to see. And uh, I'm interested to see how they will bounce back. But part of it is we do that Every time we go to Auburn. Do you think part of that has to do with the game plan? Like maybe trying to stay vanilla, not put things on tape, come in, you know, guns blazing for Georgia? Or was it just wonky game and Auburn, you know, came within a fourth and 31 and beating them? Well, it happens every time we play in Auburn. I, mean, I, I don't think Saban's team has ever played to their normal abilities in Auburn. It's, it is just a hard place to play and their fan base is insane. But uh, there was some of that, and my speculation was um, in the Kentucky game, Milrow took a helmet to the thigh, and um, he hasn't run a lot since then. And and to me, the game plan at the beginning of that game clearly looked like they were trying to not get him hit, uh, maybe trying to preserve him. Maybe he wasn't quite recovered. But the offense we saw against a team like LSU, where there were a lot of designed runs, is really, really hard to defend. But Andy and I were just talking outside the podcast when – when he's just trying to be Miller is just trying to be a pocket quarterback, it's a very, very different and not a good way looking offense. So a couple things on Milrow. Um, I've got on my on my notes to to discuss, you know, the, the injury outlook for the game. This is the first I've heard that that Milrow might be a little banged up. So number one, I'd, I'd love to know what the injury status of Milrow is. Number two, I'd love to know from an Alabama's fan's perspective what y'all's thoughts are on Milrow. Because I mean, Kirby described him as a bigger, faster Lamar Jackson, and that's probably true. Um, but man, he does some things that are just maddening to watch. He's gotten better as the season goes on, but are y'all comfortable with him? I mean, going from the Tua's and the Jalen Hurts and the Bryce Young's of the world, like where where do you where do you fit now with Milrow? So a lot of questions. Y'all can do whatever you want. Well, let me cover the Chris probably knows more about the Milrow injury situation. I'll cover my thoughts on Milrow and then just the injury situation for the team as a whole. That's high praise, you know, from Kirby. And I did see that clip. And look, I mean. I watched Kirby's opening week press conference and I watched Saban's probably identical. They were not only were they virtually identical, there was a not so thinly veiled effort to effusively praise the other team and avoid giving bulletin board material. Neither of those guys ever. They're amazing in the press conference. They're amazing in the press conference. You would have thought that one coach coached the other team with how positive they Mm -hmm. were. And so, and that's obviously by design. And I think it's, I think it's great. Um, but is he Lamar Jackson yet? No. If for my liking, he holds the ball still a second or two too long in the pocket or even when he's rolling out with his level of athleticism and running ability, he gets away with it probably more than he should. Uh, he's certainly a capable passer. Some of his balls 
that he throws are not the prettiest downfield, but they seem to get the job done. Um, am I comfortable? comfortable with him hell yeah because i've seen the backups right so <laughs> you know um fair yeah so and, which, gonna, by the way was was that intentionally done by saving too to be like hey well, let's show you what we got y'all need to stfu when it comes no, to milrow there's nothing that's not intentional yeah. that nick saban does right? so i'm very comfortable with milrow um it, it reminds me in a slightly off topic of a of a great quote by chris rock went back when bill clinton was being impeached for uh, having an affair Chris Rock used to do a great stand-up bit because Orrin Hatch, the old crusty senator from Utah, was criticizing Clinton for his affairs. And Chris Rock said, you only as faithful as your options. <laughs> and so, very good. Right. So I'm we're the Bama faithful are very faithful to Milrow at this point because we've seen what's behind door number two, uh, door, door number, number two and three, and we know Likey. Um now moving to the general injury, you know, perspective. Chris can correct me. My understanding, well, let me back up and say this so that I don't get um, uh, hate mail from the diehard Georgia contingent. I'll let Chris speak for himself on this. But from my perspective, I think good on good, 100%, 100%, Georgia's a better team this year. So this is not an excuse. I think if the best team plays the best team, Georgia wins. Having said that, my understanding is, you know, um, Jace McClellan, the number one running back for Alabama, left on crutches from the Auburn game. The standard refrain from anybody that Alabama's playing is, well, your backup two and three running backs are also four and five-star recruits. That's true. But from my perspective, Roydell Williams is 70% of the running back that Jace McClellan is. I like Roydell Williams. I'm glad to have him as a backup. But again, I think good on good Georgia wins anyway. I think if McClellan either doesn't play or is a shell of himself, uh, Alabama's chances go down dramatically, at least as – of the taping of the podcast, I've not heard an update on his injury. I just know that he left the game on crutches. Yeah. So, um, on a couple of those things, um, uh, going to Milro, um, I think as a fan base, Alabama's pulling very hard for him because he's a phenomenal kid. And he is one of those guys. He, he, he didn't, uh, portal out. He's waited his turn. It didn't all start off well for him. Uh, and he has done nothing but just put his head down and work and be a great representative. So I think the fan base just loves him as a kid. He's just a great kid. And if you go back and watch, say, the Texas game and you watch him play now, night and day difference. He has improved so much. Um, he has uh, his deep ball percentage is actually pretty phenomenal. Um, what he's really had to improve on are the touch and finesse passes. Um, he's He's got a a cannon for a right arm and he had trouble dialing it back. Uh, he has gotten a lot better in that. Um, noticeably in the LSU game, some, some touch passes at, at better times. And then he had someone with Auburn too, uh, on his injury. Um, you know, running quarterbacks get banged up. Um, thankfully he's, you know, I used to hold my breath every time Bryce Young would take off because he was such a small guy. I mean, Milrow's not Derrick Henry size, but he's closer to that than Bryce Young's size. He's a big boy. And so, um, I know he's banged up and I know he took a helmet off one of his thighs early in the Kentucky game. He missed a play or two, came back, but he wasn't running much. He was just passing at that point. And we haven't seen him run a whole lot since then. And that seemed to be the game plan against Auburn until, they had to have it, but still most of those runs weren't designed runs like we were having in some of the other games. So I still think they were protecting that. And it may be um, they didn't think they were going to need it. 
and they just decided we're not going to take a chance on trying to get him banged up in this game ahead of the SEC championship game. So when, who knows? When you're talking about Milroe kind of sitting out, waiting his turn, not getting in the portal, that's that's Beck. That's yeah. Carson Beck, too. And it makes me so happy to hear that, you know, we have two quarterbacks that are doing it, I'm air quoting right now, the right way. Mm-hmm. Um, because it seems like everybody else right now, at the minute they can leave, go somewhere else, they're going to go somewhere else. They're not going to sit for a year, sit for two years. So. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad to hear that. So um, let me interject one Milrose story I read, which I thought was incredible given who he is now. And um, there was a uh, University of Alabama athletic department employee that was at the stadium. This was about a month ago at 6.30 a.m., 7 a.m. And she was unloading pretty heavy boxes um, at the stadium. And she said there was one guy wearing a hoodie, running up and down the field, working out, didn't know who it was. Guy comes over, stops, asks her, does she need help unloading the boxes? And it was only when he started unloading the boxes with her that she realized it was Jalen Milrow. And to me, that's remarkable. To be the Alabama quarterback and be the only one there in the morning in the stadium working out and then being the sort of kid that you're going to stop and come help a lady that you have no need to help, you know, unload boxes. Characters is uh, who you are when no one's watching. He's absolutely the kind of kid you pull for. Well, sounds like a good kid, and I will pull for him every other moment except for from four o'clock until eight o'clock on Saturday. How is that? Is that fair? Mm -hmm. Fair enough. Um, So you know him being a running quarterback. People always say, well, he you know running quarterbacks give Georgia a hard time. They give everybody a hard time. Like let's be honest. Like it's really it's really it's really difficult to contain you know coverage for a long time and then if they take off and run like they're going to pick off 10 15 yards a clip i'm so glad we never have to play Jaden Jaden daniels yeah, again yeah oh. the guy's sick i mean you know we're, i was at the george george tech game saturday night and their quarterback's pretty damn good he's running around um so i think that's gonna be the, the key to the game from georgia's perspective you know the identity of this team i don't know how closely y'all follow you cl- andy you follow georgia pretty close i don't know how follow you, you, you how closely you follow chris but like the identity of this team is very different than in years past Georgia is an offensive-minded team right now. Yeah. Um, our best players arguably are on offense. Um, you know, we're still allowing less than probably 20 points a game, but not like 10 points a game like it was in years past. So um, that's, to me, the most interesting kind of subplot to the game is, to me, it's a race to 30. I think the first team that gets to 30 is going to win. Um, I don't see 35-32. I don't see 41-38. I see low thirties to mid 20, something like that. Yeah. Um, so that, that's, that's what I want to see happen. How many possessions do you get in a game? Eight or nine, maybe something like that. I don't know. So, yeah. you know, if, if, if you, if, if Georgia can hold Alabama to maybe two or three touchdowns, get a turnover, maybe one or two field goals, that's the formula from Georgia's perspective to win the game. I don't think this is going to be a game that's won 17 to 10 or 13 to 7 or things like that. Do y'all feel the same way? Yeah, I think it's a more of an old school game where field position is going to matter. Um, you know, a lot of times now, certainly when Alabama played LSU, field position didn't mean anything. You needed to score a touchdown every time you touch the ball. That's not going to be this game. Um, but they're going to need to score some points. The team that wins is going to need to to score some points because both are very capable. Is now the right time in the podcast to emphasize how much I dislike Auburn? Is that there's always the right time? Okay, there's I mean, never a bad time okay. for that. You, you know, I, I didn't know. I, I was actually curious to because we were texting Saturday night as the Auburn Georgia game was, excuse me, as the Alabama Auburn game was going down. And I know your hatred for Auburn. I was actually afraid to come to work on Monday had that game not turned the way it did. Auburn is your number one kill list, huh? No doubt. It, 
the 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 whining that that fan base did uh, after the loss on Saturday night, I hesitate to speak in uh, hyperbole, Josh, but it may be the worst whining in the history of the world. Was it worse whining than Jason Day after the semifinal game last year for Ohio State? Because that oh, was Ryan some, that, Day. Ryan that, Day. I always say Jason Day. Day. I always say Jason, Jason Day. Day comes is a great thing putter. Yeah, he's a way better Jason putter Day. than yeah. Ryan Day. Yeah, um, Ryan Day. Because that was some of the yeah. all-time whining. Yeah. The Auburn fans um, could not help but try to come up with every excuse under the sun about why that fourth and thirty-one was completed. They wanted to talk about that the Alabama linemen may have been holding the two people that were rushing Milrow. The two people. The two people. But they didn't want to talk about the defensive back yanking the collar down on Isaiah Bond about two two seconds before he caught the ball. They didn't want to talk about the play a few before that where they had three men in motion, which is illegal, and they called Alabama offsides, which then gave them a field goal. So Auburn liked to pick and choose what they complained about Look, it was a poorly officiated game on both sides. So what I'm interested in is how that game affects the game on Saturday. Do y'all think one way or the other, the way that game ended, the way that game played out, will have any role on Saturday? Or is Saban going to wipe the slate clean and they're going to play as if it was you know, any other any other championship game? You know, if it was my choice, it would have been one of those games where they had the starters out at halftime and it wouldn't have taken the emotional stress of that second half that, that it did. I mean, they're those kids have to be more tired than they would like to be after that type of an emotional game on the road. But at this point, I mean, it's big boy football and they're going to, they're going to bring the best they have to bring next week and know they have a rest starting Sunday. And Saban, so I don't think it'll be that big of a, of a deal. Saban's press conference. He harped on the fact that the game was a reality check. Mm-hmm. You know, Auburn was then what, six and five yeah, or something thereabouts coming into that game. And Saban said that he emphasized to the to the team that it was a reality check, that you don't go to any SEC opponent, let alone on the Plains, regardless of record, and expect to walk in there and then leave with an easy victory. So what I think is going to happen, given his mastery of the, of the psyche and, and his being a master motivator, is I think he's going to have those kids pumped up and ready to roll thinking – we escaped with one that we maybe shouldn't have had. And now you, he keeps using the word opportunity as well. You've got this opportunity to put yourself in a position to to be in the college football playoff, and, and you cannot come in with the same mindset. That's what Saban and Kirby are so good at. Is no matter what the situation is, they will turn around as motivation. I mean, rat poison is what Saban's always famous for talking about. And I can see how he can flip this one around. So from an Alabama's fan's perspective – you know, I kind of laid out what I thought was going to be the key to a Georgia victory. Um, what do you all see as the formula? I mean, we talked about Milroy, We talked about McClellan. Um, who are some players? What's the approach Alabama's got to take in order to, to give Alabama the best chance of success? Yeah. Um, you know, but to me, it'd be nice to have Jace McClellan. He's a, a really good running back. Um, there are other people that would be bigger losses on that football team to me. Um, with our... I guess third string running back at this time, Jim Miller's been fantastic when he's been in. The thing that I worry about more than anything with the guys that haven't played as much is picking up blitzes. But I think they seem to be doing a good job with that type of thing. So that doesn't bother me hugely, especially if um if we have if we can go full Milrow and they're they're calling the running plays. They have a running package for him. Um neither team has been awesome at stopping the run. 
Um, we, we both, you know, Auburn, Auburn ran for a lot on both of our teams. Um, I think whichever team does a better job of stopping the run is definitely going to be helpful. Who are some of y'all's dudes on defense? Who are the names? Like that guy's a dude. So Kool-Aid McKinstry is pretty much a lockdown corner. Um, don't get much by him. And then Terry and, and on the all name team, by the way. Yes. For real. And then, um, Terry on Arnold is corner on the other side and he's been fantastic. I think Hugh freeze did a, a pretty good job of confusing some of the younger guys. Caleb Downs from up at Buford has been starting all season. Spectacular player. He is, he's the next Minka Fitzpatrick. That's I mean, what they're saying. He's phenomenal. But he, I mean, he got confused a few times by motion and that sort of thing. Um, you know, our, our star, our uh, Lawson, the, our best linebacker, has been a bit banged up. He's missed some games. He played against Auburn, but didn't seem to be completely healthy. That worries me a little bit. Our defensive line um, is stout in the middle, but when you have um, you have Dallas Turner and you have Chris Braswell on the other side, those are two guys that can pin their ears back and totally get after it. So for me, a couple of years ago, Will Anderson was just the game wrecker. Yeah. yeah, you know, I mean, does, yeah. does, does, does Dallas is he anywhere close to that? I yeah. mean, he's going to be a first round draft pick. There's, I don't think there's any doubt about that. Um, he's not, um, he's not the same as as Will Anderson, but um, you know, when you when you have two of those guys on either side that can get after it, it it's it's a difference. But Georgia's all, offensive line may be the strength of the team. They've been really, really stout. So good on good, like you were saying. Yeah, with Georgia, you know, Andy, y'all mentioned injuries. I mean, we had four or five of our top offensive players not play against Georgia Tech. Now, was that by design? Was that to give them rest? It was cold Saturday night? Didn't need them? I don't know. Probably some of the, probably all of the above. Kirby's not going to give you anything. Um I would be shocked if Brock Bowers does not play. I would be absolutely shocked. Um, Lad McConkey is a little closer call. I mean, you know, it's it's tough to to read what's going on with him. Um, but look, he's a senior. Let's be honest. This is an elimination game. I mean, we'll get to that in a minute. But I I truly believe if Georgia loses this game, they're not going to the playoffs. Um, and so, is Lad going to go out on his potentially last game not playing? I just don't see that happen. Well, look, they would have to have. Brock Bowers in a straight jacket in chains in a submarine at the bottom of the ocean to prevent him from playing Com- this game. And even agree. then, given his physical ability and talent level, he finds a way to make it to, for the second half. Yeah, I, I mean, I would be really surprised if they weren't just trying to get him in particular healthy for the SEC championship game. They need him full go. Uh, certainly as Alabama fans, you know, I'm glad my job is not a defensive coordinator who needs to figure out how to slow him down because I'm not sure how you do it. He's insane. Yeah. I mean, you know, the uh, old Miss, um, one of their columnists, I don't know if y'all read it. You probably did Andy. He, he, he wrote after George beat Ole Miss that like the biggest compliment this year to a team is that Georgia cares enough about you to actually show up and put a good game plan in and try to beat your ass. And they've only done that like three or four times. And I feel like against Tech, Georgia didn't care enough to show up to unleash all these tools. So, um, agreed. Brock, bottom of the ocean, he still would play. Saban, uh, in his press conference this week, not surprisingly, uh, when asked about Bowers, said he was the best tight end in the country, which is probably an understatement. Yeah, it, <laughs> uh, and, and maybe even including the professionals. It may be, right. <laughs> he may be, he would be, if were he in the NFL this, this year, uh, he may be in the top three talent-wise in the NFL. 
Yeah, it's it, it's crazy. You know, we got Ra Ra Thomas that, that's out. He's, he's going to come back. You mentioned the line Tate Ratledge is out or has been out. So, but look, everybody's hurt. No one makes excuses about injuries. Kirby's the first one to say that this time of year, Saban I'm sure says the same sure. thing. Everybody, you know, it's it, it's next man up. These guys are all they're all big time players. I think um, the one to kind of maybe watch with Alabama is Isaiah Bond, who caught that touchdown pass against Auburn. He's a sophomore up at Buford, um, track guy, legit track speed, can fly. Last year he was a track guy playing football. This year he's a damn football player. Yeah, he is, and he has got some of that dog mentality in him. He is just not afraid, and uh, he's starting to use that speed with hands and route running. And he's been really good and just getting better and better. And I think Alabama's linebackers are going to be the keys. Uh, I I think Alabama has been particularly weak this year at what I would call kind of like the medium rate uh, range inside slant, the 10 to 15 yard, you know, uh, middle of the field play that, you know, will get you seven to 12 yards, but sometimes they bust it free. And I've seen too many times, particularly against Texas in the second game of the season yeah, where they've just been too uh, mushy on the inside of the field. Yeah. And linebackers and coverage is not a strength right now. No, agreed. Well, Bobo is going to look for those matchup mis- mismatchups, um, take advantage of. He just got nominated top five uh, OC or defensive coach of the year, or not defense assistant coach of the year. Far cry from people were saying about him when the season started. You know, didn't want him, but he's he's been fantastic. Yeah. Jermaine Burton, what do y'all think about him? Georgia fans, we always follow how he's doing. He's uh, he's been really good this year. I mean, as another another play um, in that Auburn game where he made a fantastic catch and. Uh, Announcers, everyone else thought he was in bounds and they called him the, the refs called him out of bounds. But you know, you know, even when you get the, the announcer saying, Yes, yeah, he looks like he's in there. Um, so he had a huge game against, I think it was Arkansas. He's been steady. I mean, he he gets open, he catches passes, he uh he gets himself in trouble with his mouth sometime. I wish he'd just play football and leave all the trash talking aside, but He's been a good ball player. He's consistent. Well, he gets open. That circles back to something you were asking about earlier about this year's Alabama team, and Saban has indirectly talked about this in the last couple of weeks. There really aren't a ton of stars. If you think about Bama teams of the recent past with Amari Cooper yeah. and Devontae Smith and Waddle and Ruggs, uh-huh. And Brian Robinson and Judy, the list. They, Najee there were Harris. Najee Harris. You know, um, there were f- high first round picks galore. Um, I, Burton's a good player. We're happy to have him, but he's not of the caliber of those other guys. And so you have an Alabama team this year, with the exception of a couple of guys on defense, that don't have that really star power that has NFL teams salivating. I don't think there's anyone on the offense where you're just saying, how in the world do you game plan against this? When you had, you know, Ruggs and Waddle and Smitty on the field at the right. same time, defensive coordinators are just, what are you gonna do? yeah, good luck. Yeah. Pick, pick now, your boys. Up. I do think Isaiah bond, you know, in a year or two is, is going to have first round potential, but as a sophomore, he's not one that you just have to, you know, throw three guys out to take him out of the game and, and take your, pick with somebody else there's not he's he's right there's not a Devontae Smith right now who you just can't cover you know so the line opened at four Georgia favored by four I've seen it up to 5.5 or six in places y'all think that's about right you think Georgia's just under a touchdown better than Alabama 
I don't ever pay that much attention to that stuff, to be honest with you. I'm not a gambler. I don't I don't ever bet on games, so that doesn't ever mean very much to me. I think it's gonna be a good football game. Um, you know, you and I were talking before we went went on air, went live, you know, Danny Cannell running his mouth saying Georgia's gonna boat race Alabama. I'd be really surprised if that happens. You guys got a score for me? I can't say that I do. I'm not a prognosticator. I what I will predict is I expect it's going to be a good a good football game that's going to be decided late in the fourth quarter. Uh, I think turnovers could be huge in this game. One, you know, one pick six, one returned punt, returned kickoff could could completely change the course of this game. So I, that's a to be determined game to me. I, I it's it's I would say it's a little a reverse of some of the older Alabama Georgia games where I expected Alabama would win. I was not going to be surprised if Georgia did. I expect Georgia will win. I won't be surprised if if uh, Alabama did. It's you know twenty one. We went into this game and everybody thought Georgia easily and Alabama won in a blowout. You know you just never know what's going to so, happen. So uh, before <laughs> I knew you had something to say, but. That brought up something that I read recently, and I was saving this podcast to tell you about this because this is going to really make y'all laugh. I read today, this did not come from a Georgia person, by the way. This was a national writer who said he's convinced that the 2021 SEC championship game, Georgia mailed it in and had no intention of doing anything you know, special or anything that would show anything, knowing they were going to be in the football champion, the, the playoffs no matter what. And they were saving it all up for the finals. I've never read that before. But curious to see if you guys give that one ounce of credit. I personally don't. I don't. I don't. I, can you imagine Nick Saban or Kirby Smart saying, "Yeah, we're just going to phone it in to take"? I mean, I don't think that's in their DNA. Personally, um, that ranks up there with the second gunman on the grassy knoll. You know, I, I don't give that any credence at all. Probably because true, by the way. I remember. I mean, th- though it was thought to be a foregone conclusion that Georgia was still going, and clearly they deserved to still go, to place that in the hands of the committee with a loss. And you and you give Cur- up the chance to choose where you're playing. Yeah, I don't think Kirby's that guy. Oh. So uh, your prediction for the game? Yeah, and like Chris, I mean, I'm, I don't gamble on these games. If someone gave me a dollar and said all you can do with the dollar is bet, I would bet that Georgia will win. Um, I'll be mildly surprised if if Alabama wins. You know, the score is is very much to me a crapshoot. I mean, I could see a, I could see a, um, you know, uh, twenty eight twenty one Georgia. I could see a um, thirty one uh, twenty twenty four thirty one uh, twenty eight Georgia. Uh, you know, I, I think Georgia's the better team. This is where we're gonna have some fun because. If Georgia beats Alabama, clearly Georgia's number one seed going to the playoffs. Uh-huh. Alabama maybe gets in the New Year's Day six, maybe not. Who knows? Um, if Alabama beats Georgia, y'all are going to like to hear me say this. There's a scenario where Alabama still does not mm-hmm. make the playoffs. And we, we've we gone round and round on this on text. You're, uh, you're going to have to start a new podcast to let Andy Andy go on I, this one, I think. It's the truth. It's the it truth. is. There's, a, there's is. a scenario a fairly likely scenario where if Alabama beats Georgia, Alabama still does not go to the playoffs. I'm sorry, not, Andy, that's the case. I will not watch one, not one additional play of college football this season. If Alabama beats Georgia and the college football playoff committee does not place an undefeated within the SEC, SEC champion who then beats the number one team in the country and they look uh, look us in the eyes and say that they are not one of the best four teams in the country because 
in week two in September, they lost to a very good Texas team. That sends, my head's about to explode with the messages that it sends, but in an effort to keep this podcast at a reasonable time length, let me tell you the top two. One, it sends the message that instead of scheduling Texas, Alabama should have scheduled a directional school and just, you know, beat them 60 to three and not schedule Texas, who still is out of conference. Then it would be a foregone conclusion. Right. Then all of a sudden you say, oh, well, Alabama's undefeated. But perhaps more importantly, if you remember back in 2014, I remember when the college football playoff committee came into being. I remember it clear as day. Their number one stated goal was to put the top four teams in the country in the playoffs somewhat regardless or irrespective or whatever fancy word you want to use of one loss record. Everybody recognizes that if you lose two, you're probably never going to make it. If you lose three, you're certainly not going to make it. That's a given just because it feels gross to have someone in at two or three losses, right? But to look the country in the eye and to not have an SEC team in there, I will not watch one additional play of college football and when Washington or Texas or Oregon hoist the trophy, it will be, I hope they engrave an asterisk in that trophy because there's not a damn person in the Southeast that will recognize it as a legitimate national title. You're giving them Braves playoff treatment where you won't watch a single pitch after the Braves are eliminated? If, Strong. If Alabama beats Georgia and is kept out of the college football playoff, I will not watch a single College football play the rest. We've discussed of the this too, Chris. You seem to be a little more understanding of the fact that this very well could happen. I'm understanding of the fact that it could happen. I don't really feel any differently than Andy. You take a one loss SEC champion that just beat a Georgia team that's won 29 straight. There's no way it's not one of the best four teams. And I mean, who's going to be favored? That team or Washington or Oregon uh, or Florida State without their quarterback? Or let, know, let, 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 let me just break it down. I'm gonna, I, I, I need to give Andy a hand stepping down off his soapbox. Well, let, let, let me let me leave it at this because I could literally talk about this for a couple hours. And I will. this will be the last thing I say about this topic. No, no, it's not going to be because I have, I have other things I want to ask you. I want you to assume that Alabama beats Georgia and that Washington Washington ends the season undefeated. I want you to also assume there is $1 million behind a door. If you could do nothing other than predict if Alabama and Georgia played and you got that answer correct, that million dollars is yours, who do you pick? So the answer is Georgia and Alabama would be favored against any other team in the country on a neutral field. Period. Hard stop. Okay? That's not, as I understand it, the, the result of how this committee is going to play it out. Okay? Whether they should or shouldn't is a whole other debate, but let, let's just walk through what's happening here. Alabama beat Georgia. Number one team's out. Michigan is going to beat Iowa. Michigan's got to score. By a million. Michigan's got to score four points to beat Iowa. Okay. They win four to three. Congratulations, Michigan. You're now the number one seed in the playoffs. Washington beats Oregon. Undefeated Pac-10 champ. They're going to be number two. FSU beats Louisville. Undefeated 13-0 ACC champ with a backup quarterback. I get it. You're telling me that the committee's going to leave any of those three teams out. The answer is no, they're not. So then it comes down to assuming Texas wins and you got Texas and Alabama. It's going to come down to head-to-head, and they're going to say, Texas beat Alabama. Texas gets number four. I don't agree with it. I don't like it. I won't be able to watch the championship game with you because you ain't going to be watching it yourself, but that is a scenario. There's no question it's a scenario, and 
it is what uh, we would call in fancy legal terms, total crap. Okay. Because you're, you are, you cannot keep an Alabama team out that goes undefeated in the SEC and wins the SEC championship by beating. And look, simple numbers bear this out. Let's assume Alabama, as I, I think. It's not just Alabama. Uh, I mean, you put Georgia in the exact same situation. I'd be sitting here arguing to you, Georgia has to go. Let's assume that tonight, Tuesday night, when the, the playoff rankings come out this evening, let's assume that Alabama stays at number eight. Right. They'll be seven because Ohio State will go behind them, okay. right? Let's assume they maybe. stay. Let's, well, maybe not. Okay. They may not. Okay. And, and so the AP, Ohio State only dropped down to like six. Oh, okay. So let's assume Alabama is seven or eight in the, in the college football playoff rankings this evening when it comes out on ESPN. Let's assume further that Georgia lose, that Alabama beats Georgia. Are you not going to move Alabama up? I'm not asking how much you're moving them up. I'm simply asking if you beat the number one team in the country – that has won 29 straight games and has been the dominant college football program the last two or three years, and Alabama beats them, you're going to leave them at eight? And if the answer to that question is no, then you've answered your own question. If you're moving them up, then someone has to be displaced. And I think they get to five. And I think, and I think Georgia's will, up at six, I think, and I think that the two best teams in the country get left out. Yeah, I think you also have to factor in the committee does not want a national championship game this year like they had last year. And – you know, Florida State's been a good team. Florida State with a backup quarterback is not, not going to beat anybody in the playoff. And, you know, that's just, it's unfortunate timing. But nobody, what was the final score of that game last year? 59 to 7? 65 something? to 7. The it Georgia line that to happen again. It was, it was, it was glorious. The Georgia yeah, linemen were, for were eating chicken wings in, in field level suites during the game. Yeah. That's how competitive it was. But here's the thing if Florida State, I think they almost put Josh in to finish that game. I was right the there. Way. I was ready to go. You were ready. Put me I was in, ready. Uh, if Florida State played an SEC schedule, they, they would not be losses. undefeated. They'd have three losses. Uh, right. And so, and this maybe gets to a bigger topic about the college football playoff, which is going to be solved next year when it expands. But their stated mission of putting the four best teams in the country into the playoff is not congruous with what they're doing. Because what they're doing is saying the eye test and do you have a loss? Because if the if you can't put the four best teams in the country because certain parts you know in because certain parts of the country reject it. You guys think I'm disagreeing with you? I'm not disagreeing with you. No, no, I I, I, I just think you are. I, 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 realistic. I, I just I am being realistic. Be right. I'm just being realistic about how it's going to play out. Now, what the committee wants is Georgia to beat Alabama, and they don't sure. they don't matter. Mm-hmm. So that that's what they want. Then it becomes easy. Then it probably goes chalk after that. Yep. Um, and what's even more interesting is if Alabama would have not had that fourth and thirty-one, all this discussion would be for not too. Exactly. So it's just wild how it all plays out. Now, I was way. wondering late in that game if we were going to cancel this podcast. <laughs> I was wondering it too. Like, there's st- no reason to do this now. No, we still want to get together. There's always hey, there's always reason to drink bourbon and talk about college yeah, football. And by the way, talking about the the uh, officiating and stuff in that game, you know, just like I do, that Andy had sent us a picture of the Auburn DB holding Bond in the end zone, I believe before that pass landed. He had texted it to us because he knew it was coming. <laughs> so I, am, I, am I wrong about that? I, I, no, te- text don't <laughs> lie. We have, we have, we have, we have the, the I have timestamp. 47 years of experience listening to Auburn fans complain about officiating when things don't go their way. And so as I predicted, and it doesn't take the Nostradamus of football to, to make this prediction, in his post-game press conference, mm-hmm. Hugh Freeze complained about the officiating and claimed that Isaiah Bond 
pushed off on their defensive back, but he failed to mention the fact that they're defensive. Told you, he's back, salty this you know, year. He's salty this year. Or, right. or that the the bad snap that put us in third and fourth and thirty one was the snap right. came because the Auburn safety was clapping. You guys won. Also Don't worry about it. So. Yeah, y'all yeah. won. Yeah. won. It's okay. All right. So Michigan, Washington, Oregon, Texas, Florida State. I know your thoughts on some of these teams. But do any of those five worry you at all? as a potential roadblock for Alabama or Georgia down the line? Uh, to me, the only one that uh, I would feel very concerned about, I think, would be Michigan. And Michigan, you're also just going to have to show me um, because they've, they've done it a number of times in the playoffs and and just get there. And, I mean, they lost to that TCU team last year. That TCU team Georgia beat, what would you say, 65-7? to seven? They lost to that team. So I disagree, respectfully. The team that worries me as a Georgia and Alabama fan is, is Oregon. Oregon. Michigan is... Yeah, but Oregon th- lost to Washington. Well, the question is, which team worries you if your team is facing? I think they've got the horsepower offensively. Michigan gets to sleepwalk through their conference championship game. They they In the last couple of weeks, Michigan... Well, in the last couple of weeks, Iowa has beaten Minnesota by two. Northwestern by three, Illinois by two, and Nebraska by three. That's approximately ten points they scored, in total yeah. that they've that they've beaten teams. They scored a, twen- a total that Georgia and Alabama in those games. <laughs> Georgia and Alabama's third string could have beaten those teams. So Michigan gets to cakewalk through, but I still say Oregon looks like the real deal this but, year. I mean, what about Florida State? They're going to go play a Louisville team that just lost to Kentucky. Yeah, who's a who's a nobody and. The SEC, Georgia and, and Alabama both had their way with Kentucky, no no problems. So I agree with you about Oregon. Dan Lanning, former Georgia guy, I think he was on Alabama staff too, wasn't he? He was a GM. Um, great coach. He's the, he's the next guy. I mean, he you talk about you talk about like Kirby mimicking statements, mannerisms. Like if you watch Lanning, he's doing the same thing about Kirby. Um, so I would agree with you. Oregon is the biggest concern. When you said that you want to, the committee wants to avoid another Georgia TCU blowout, I agree with you. But I also think that the the biggest game doesn't always end up being the national championship game. Um, you know, last year, Georgia's biggest game to get there was against Ohio State in the national semifinal. That game. was the national championship. I think Georgia-Alabama is the de facto national championship Thank game. Thank you. Probably right. Um, regardless of what I said, I do think that chaos is going to happen in Alabama. If they win, we'll get in. Something will happen. Something always does happen. If Alabama doesn't get in and Georgia does not get in, then... I think the rest of it is BS. I think I think we don't have a true champion because I think the national championship and the national champion comes out of the game on Saturday. You cannot win a national championship as a program outside the Southeast or Southeastern Conference, since the Southeastern Conference now extends to Missouri <laughs> and soon to Oklahoma and Texas. You cannot declare yourself a national champion in football and not have had to go through an SEC team. Can you? Sure. Is anyone going to take it seriously? No. So it's interesting that the last year of the four-year playoff brings this kind of drama to it, right? Um, And I've heard different sides of arguments about why going to 12 makes sense and why it's going to take away some of the stuff in the middle of the season, why it makes it not quite as exciting. Um, I'm leaning more towards I'm excited about 12, um, but where where are you guys at in terms of what the next year looks like for playoffs? I haven't really wrapped my brain around it yet, to be honest. I haven't thought that much about it. It's going to take, I think, some of the excitement out of the regular season. Um, but we'll see. I mean, I wasn't a big fan of the four-team playoff versus the BCS, and it's turned out well, and you know, it plays out well for the most part. It's just where's the level you're going to be debating who should get in? 
I mean, now it's going to be, you know, 11, 10 through 14. Who's, who's going to be those two that get in instead of who's going to be the, With the gross three here. losses. Well, right. Gross. But you, you, Josh, you and I have talked about that scenario that Chris just asked about. And I do think there's some wisdom in, of course, there's always a line drawing problem of you're then just create, you're pushing, pushing the line down to further losses. But the big difference there is if you're a three loss team and you finish at 13, 14, or 15, you don't really have a legitimate <clears throat> argument that you should be the national champion anyway. There, you know, if you're a two loss team, you're pushing your luck, but you can maybe sneak in as a 10 or 11 or 12 seed. If you've lost three games and you get left out, you really can't look in the mirror and say, boy, we deserve to be in that playoff. Completely agree. Don't, right? lo don't lose three times. Yeah, don't I, lose three times. Yeah, I also don't think you're going to see the what do they call them the Cinderella teams in the in the in college like basketball. basketball. Yeah, I don't think you're gonna you're gonna have this eight seed that's gonna come out and beat the Georgias and Alabamas of the world in a in a playoff setting. You I might get it once that. every few years at the most, but you're right. Chalk is gonna hold much more than in basketball. Uh, for S and Gs, I looked this morning. You know, the Penn States of the world is who's gonna be right. fighting for the 12th spot. Like we all watch them play. Michigan, we watched them play Ohio State. Like, does anybody think that's a team that's worthy of a playoff berth? Like, the answer is no. So they come to Athens, they come to Tuscaloosa. You get a great environment on your home campus in December. Target practice, and it's cool for the fans. It's cool for the eyeballs on TV. Um, it keeps more fan bases engaged, right? You got the the team that's ranked fifteenth. That's like, hey, if this happens, and this happens, this happens. Like, we'll get in on number twelve. So for that, I like it. It would neuter this podcast we did today. Right. Like we, we'd be sitting here being like, well, Georgia's going to play Alabama. Both teams are in top 12. Like SEC championship are, are cool to have, but it's not the biggest prize. Well, right. It's all about money anyway. So it does yeah. what, what they think, what what fans would like or what Georgia or Alabama would like or whatever. It's all about the money. So it's not none of it has to do with what's the better product. It's what's the more valuable product. Well, and, and Josh, you and I have talked about this before. I mean. We're in a, a different world now and a much more diluted college football product. I mean, look at the name we mentioned earlier. I mean, Burton goes <clears throat> from one season pacing the sidelines between the hedges. In the next season, he jumps over to Brian Denny. Oregon, who everyone's so high on, well, of course they're great this year. They have a quarterback from the SEC. Who's, in who's 25. Who's, yeah. who's, I think, also eligible for AARP. Him, him and Stetson Bennett were probably <laughs> born the same year. So, you know, you've got this fluidity of players that and I'm not commenting on whether it's good or bad. It's just a fact. You have this free agency world now where players are are jumping ship to different teams. And it's almost like it, it's a bygone era of true yeah. loyalty to a team. It or makes conference. me feel less connected to a team yeah. when it turns over so much. It definitely feels more like more like pro football, which doesn't which I like, but doesn't <laughs> my attention the same way. Well, it's going to be fun, and this this is what I do know. I know that we'll be texting each other on Saturday during the game. Me and you, I think we're going to be together, Andy, during the game. I'm actually uh, don't text me because I'm gonna I'm coaching a basketball game in the middle of this. Oh, I will, wow! I will so, be the earmuffs. For, okay, for the so, entire time. so interesting. How do you go about navigating that in 2023? It's damn near impossible. I'd love to hear your strategy. So I'm going to let everybody on my basketball team, all the parents, know. Don't say anything to me. Okay, uh, I'm not going to have anything on in my house. I'm probably just going to keep earbuds in my ears as soon as I walk away from. My group, I'm going to go back to the house and try to turn it on from the start. And I'm not going to look at my phone. I'm not going to text with anybody. So I'll catch up with y'all after. But, but you know, kids sports, that's, 
I'm not going to bail on a kid's sport for a, a college football game. You got to have what, 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 time, what time. And first of all, I, I agree with you. Uh, what time is the, the, the game? I have um, practice for one team that will end at four and I have a game that starts at 640. Ooh, so you're going to be starting the game when it's over. The SC game is over. All right, so make sure we send him a thousand text messages. Yeah. During you can do whatever you want. My <laughs> yeah, goal is not going to yeah. be on. Right. <laughs> uh, well, I like the strategy. I was at Isabella's um, a volleyball match a couple weekends ago during Georgia, Missouri, which was a pretty big game. A close game. And um, I told myself the same thing. I'm like, I'm focused on this volleyball. I'll pick it up afterwards. But I didn't go as far as you to say I'm going to just completely X out of it mm-hmm. because it was regular season game, whatever. So I would check it guy behind me got pissed off at me for pulling it up i guess in his eye shot he's like man i'm trying to avoid seeing the game i'm like don't look over my shoulder don't look over my shoulder bro yeah i don't want to tell you like you're in a public place like i've got my phone like you need to take better precautions for your own stuff mm-hmm. don't 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 look at me bro. agree don't, don't at me bro agree <laughs> but what i was gonna say is we'll have fun talking on saturday now we'll have fun talking on sunday we'll all get together back on monday smiling shaking hands however it plays out as you put it earlier we have a whole lot of bigger things and better things going on in our life than how this football game ends. Yeah, right. It's not going to change our lives in any way, but it's fun. Having said that, go dogs. But <laughs> I do want to say, uh, as I was driving in here today, I had this thought. Uh, I've been excited to do this podcast with you guys. It's it's been a while. Y'all are friends now. I mean, we're office mates, but y'all are friends. But I sure wish Chris Abrego was sitting in here doing this podcast with us. Yeah, yeah. I could use another uh, Georgia guy for me. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Chris was was always um, a little over-enthusiastic about Georgia's chances, and I would have loved having him. He would have loved to have seen all this happen with what's happened to Georgia, and I miss him all the time, and I, I wish he was sitting in that chair next to you. Very well said. Very well said. Very well said. We, pour, pour out a sip of this bourbon. We we miss him, and I would just add he was over-enthusiastic in a good way about, in a good mo- way. And about, about most things. <laughs> in a good so, way. You're right. Well, with that, we will send off on a – I appreciate you bringing that up. Um, I'll say go dogs. You guys can say roll tide or whatever it is you want to say. Roll tide. Roll, roll tide. Roll tide roll. Thank you all for listening. We will check back next week, see how this game goes. Uh, of course, I'm saying dogs win. My guys over here – they kind of, kind of, you know, they kind of said it too. It so happen. We'll see what goes out. So keep the faith. Thank y'all for listening. Until all, until next time. As always, keep chopping.